Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky and we have a giant show for you today tons of great guests tons of great stories here is the lineup we'll kick off with indiana high school legend greg mock who is also joined by steve veal the longtime man heading up all the awards for United Soccer Coaches, a special visit with Greg and a pop-in from Steve. Then we move to the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, Vince Gansberg, and Eric Ullman, a staff coach doing great things out in the state of Washington. We return to the training ground with Teresa Tree Beckman, who's written an amazing article. She'll break that down. Then we give Art Hernandez another spot. This is the third of four for the Latino Soccer Coaches community. He's joined by Carla Maya and Cynthia Cervantes. We meet Iowa superstar player Sam Carey, who has so many layers to her life, which I love. And then tonight, I have Wake Forest at Duke. We're joined by the 26-year head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons women's soccer team, Tony Deleuze. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. As I said in my open, we continue to dedicate time to high school soccer. Lee Gerald, who now heads up high school soccer coaches, pointed out that, in fact, we have more high school coaches than any other section of our membership for United Soccer Coaches, so we need to pay more attention to this great sport of high school soccer. Today, we honor a man who's dedicated a large majority of his life to high school soccer. We're talking about Greg Mauk, who just recently announced that this will be his last year. He's not done yet. He could make another run for a state title, but he's been the Canterbury head soccer coach in Indiana from 1984 until this year, 21 sectional championships, 16 regional championships, 13 semi-state championships, three-time state runner-up, seven state titles, most state championship game appearances, 10, most state finals appearances and final fours, 13, six-time Indiana Soccer Coaches Association Coach of the Year, three-time United Soccer Coaches Regional Coach of the Year, the National Soccer Coaches Association of America 1998 National Coach of the Year, the National Soccer Coaches Association 2017 Long-Term Service Award, a great award, of course, a 2007 Indiana Soccer Coaches Association Hall of Fame inductee, 
and a 2005 Indiana Soccer Hall of Fame inductee. And that's just part of the list, but a special weekend for Greg that will celebrate on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Greg, great to be with you. Thank you for having me, sir. As you hear all of those accolades, I'm sure you're going to be funny and say, well, that's because you've been around a long time. But man, <laughs> that's impressive, though. It's obviously been a joy and an honor and I'm sure a pleasure for you to to serve that long at Canterbury. Well, it's been a great place to work. The parents and the, the administrators have been supportive. And most of all, I've just had great kids to work with. And they've been putting up with my nonsense, been dedicated to the game. And it's fun to see in the young men they've become. So I called Indiana, Michigan on Sunday. And as part of that prep, I always call the Godfather before every first Indiana game. I've made it a tradition for the 16 years I've been on the Big Ten Network. And he pointed out that he was on his way with Maryland to go and see you. He was going to see George Perry and his wife who were coming down. Then I later learned from Steve Veal, who I have great respect for, that he was also there. So I'm assuming there were a ton more uh, distinguished people there for your final game that had to warm your heart sir it clearly did it was just overwhelming the, the people like coach and Marilyn and George and Ellen and Russ Plummer a lot of people came from a lot of places at halftime the game they had all the former players come out of the bleachers and honestly they just kept coming I was just stopped in my tracks I couldn't believe it it must have been 50 or more out there that was really cool and it I'm tearing up now sorry <laughs> It's real. That means from all ages, right? Yeah. Some of them were back in the 80s and some of them were actually back from that first team in 79 at a different high school. So that was pretty neat. Before we kind of backtrack and learn about your background, including, I think, learning a lot about the game as a manager for Indiana way back. Well, I I apologize for using way back, but way back in the day. That's uh, the truth. Yeah, with with the Godfather, you had to make this decision. So just talk about why now, Coach? Why is now the right time? And I know you're not done. You could make another run to the state title, but why now? You know, I hadn't really thought about it much, but just between you and me, the uh, and what's now between everyone here. um, (laughs) I I was growing weary of the day to day grind of training. I mean, still love game day, obviously. But then a couple of things. My wife's been wonderfully patient, my family over the years. But about, I guess it was summer before last, one morning I got up and I opened Facebook and realized that one of my players off my first team was turning 60 years old. (laughs) Just (laughs) Holy moly, (laughs) this is getting to be a little much. So there are just a lot of little things that went into it. And I've got a wonderful assistant coaching Staff, Blake Sharp and Bosor, Blake's ready to take over. Had an instance in a game about end of last season. We're looking at making an adjustment. It was clear to me he was way out in front of me. I needed to get out of his way. So all that kind of factored in. You know, that says a lot about you, about the ability to to look in the mirror and and understand you've got good people around you, which, you know, I'm sure that uh, you're going to tell me was part of your success as well anyway. Oh, yeah. And and another reason why you said, all right, I think they're ready. So is that who's going to replace you? Is that how it's going to work? I believe so. School hasn't named it officially yet. They're kind of waiting for all this to die down a little bit. But yeah, Blake's been with, he played for me, then played for South Florida, had a nice career there. He's been back working with me for about the last seven years. He's good. He's really good. I just want to be one of the two old men in the Muppets sitting up in the balcony watching from the far side. (laughs) I can picture that. That works for me. Let's go ahead and backtrack, okay? Let's go all the way back because the way I understand it, you went to Indiana, right? And Mm -hmm. you became a manager around the Godfather. 
And I'm not sure if it was right at the time when he was going from intramural to varsity or if you joined him after that. But help me understand that. When did you go to IU and how did you find yourself onto the quote staff as a manager for Indiana soccer? Well, it was interesting. It was in 1975. So it was shortly a year or two after they won varsity. The initial crew of players were a lot of them were still there, but I had enjoyed playing soccer in grade school and there wasn't anything available in Fort Wayne, Indiana at that time in high school, but I wanted to try to be involved. And I made an appointment with coach Yegley in his office and marched in with a letter of recommendation from a family friend who was a state senator in Indiana, plopped down. And I think coach looked at the letter and thought this for a student manager's job, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> funny. But uh, at that point, it was just about trying to be part of the team and do what I can to help out. And shortly thereafter, I decided I wanted to get into coaching and, and Coach Yegley absolutely took me under his wing and, and provided me with lots of opportunities and mentorship. And he's been incredible all these years. Help me with those opportunities. I mean, was it straight to Canterbury after you got your degree or did you hang around Indiana even longer after you got your degree? When did your first high school job happened? Was it an assistant coach, JV? Like, how did you work your way up to Canterbury? When I was at IU in 79, I was I was kind of there on the decade plan. We started a high school team at Bishop Lewis, which is where I graduated from. On that team is my current AD, Ken Harkenrider. Started that program just to get soccer up and running and found a couple more coaches in the city that would coach their high schools. And we started a club league in 79. And then I was at Lures for five years through 83, and then Canterbury started a high school. So Canterbury had a full-time job, and the other school didn't. <laughs> okay. So help us understand that besides being an accomplished coach, and I just read off those amazing credentials, including all of those state titles. So when you went to Canterbury, were you also teaching? And have you always been teaching as part of what you're doing there as well, Greg? Yes, I've been a full-time faculty member of PE department. I was the AD for a little while, but I fired myself and um, decided to just focus on the soccer. Take me back to, again, your time with Jerry Yegley. What was your best memory being on that staff? Were you involved in any of those national championship wins? I left right before they got their first title. There were clearly some really amazing teams at that point. And the program's grown and changed so much. And that's one of the most impressive things about Coach is how he was able to shepherd and move that program from club and where you just kind of had university station wagons to haul the team around to the point where they are really an amazing organization. So just watching all that, and he let me sit in on the planning meetings for training sessions, and I saw coaches discussing with him and being forceful and how he handled all that. He wanted the best information he could get, and those are all important for me as I move forward. We're here with Greg Mock, who is retiring, although you got your first playoff game coming up. What's the date on that one? Tonight. Tonight. Monday okay. night. Oh, yeah. Monday night. Okay. Well, this airs, it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. This will air on Thursday, but I'll hopefully uh, get a follow-up from you on how you're doing. If you win Monday, what's the deal, Greg? Play Wednesday. Wednesday. You win Wednesday. What's the deal? Saturday. Monday. Saturday Wednesday, would Saturday. be the sectional final. To win the tournament, we'd have to win seven games over the okay. next three weeks. The final would be Friday or Saturday, right, right around Halloween. Break down your final season. How'd the team do? Well, we're 11, one and three, a little disappointed in the one and three, some unusual things, but we've gotten better. We've gotten a lot better. Uh, the kids are moving the ball better. We still struggle to put the ball in the net. 
but I think most teams do. <laughs> so I think we're a pretty fun team to watch. We've got a good defense anchored by Saad Anamtali, our All-American goalkeeper. He's going to be going to IU. He's going to graduate in December and head on down and get started. feel like we got a pretty solid lineup. The way I understand it, and part of this incredible run at Canterbury, you were almost 100% attendance, if not 100% attendance, at the high-acclaimed Indiana soccer camp. Is it fair to say that you made just about every one of those Indiana soccer camps, Greg? All but one or two when I had some illness about 15 years ago. Actually started working that camp in 78, maybe. They had me lining fields and working the concession stand and uh, babysitting Todd. (laughs) And of course, he's talking about Todd Yegley, the very successful head coach now who followed in the footsteps, you know, with, you know, one coach in between of his father, the godfather, Jerry Yagley. You know, by the way, you might be one of them. Some people have told me that I say the godfather too often. In fact, I've been clipped at the Big Ten Network a couple of times for saying it too often. (laughs) But let me tell you, Greg, I think it works. I think he truly is the godfather. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was never more than a student manager, 40 some odd years. He still calls once or twice a season to check up on how the team's doing. And if I call him, he'll ask me a dozen questions about my family and, and school. And by the time he's done asking questions, I forget why I called. I mean, he's just <laughs> he's so genuine and he's just had an incredible effect on so many people. That, that term is perfect for him. You know, it's interesting because if you think about it, and we may have a special guest joining us now, which will be great. When you think about the fact that, you know, Queen Elizabeth just died. And I know we call him the godfather, but he really does kind of have that royalty effect, you know, where it's not like you necessarily want to kiss the ring, but pretty darn close to it. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I've also been hit by the ring. So, I mean. uh... (laughs) He had six of them. I I can't give him credit for all, you know, although I should, but six national championship rings, that's pretty special, right? It's unbelievable. And then his final journey out when they won the title in his final game. That was just remarkable. It was wonderful to be there to see that. You know, for me, I've had this front row seat at the Big Ten Network since day one. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, I actually did the first ever game. It was West Virginia, Ohio State. That was a trial game. And then Michigan lost to App State. And then the next day, Indiana beat UCLA in front of, I think, still one of their biggest crowds ever. That was a the launch of the Big Ten Network. I called the game with Jeff Clark, who quickly got out of the business, but he was fine, former Indiana Hoosier as well. But do you remember with the launch of the Big Ten Network and some of those games? Oh, absolutely. And for somebody who's coaching during the season, so you can't get to the games, it was fantastic. <laughs> I could actually watch my Hoosiers and, and enjoy it. And there was no opportunity to do that before that. So I've been thankful for it and appreciate your work all the way through. Well, I love calling Indiana every single time. And, and like I said, a couple of years ago, in fact, even Chris Monroe was in on it. So with, with COVID, we were in two different studios and I didn't realize this, but they kind of do bingo with me when I call games because I was known to do Godfather maybe seven, eight, nine times. And so coordinating producer Sue Marriott actually told Chris Monroe every time I say Godfather to put up a one, you know, in front of the camera and then, <laughs> and then two and then three. And they had put a limit at five. And so by the time it came with the sixth one, you know, it said, and Dean is now swimming with the fishes, too many godfathers. But, you know, <laughs> I just can't help it. I thought, yeah, I thought you would enjoy it. And then, of course, Jerry tells me that when he goes and hangs out with his card playing and golf buddies, that they all call him the godfather. Have you, do you call him the godfather? It comes up a lot at camp. Okay. <laughs> he gets well, called that a lot at camp. He's just incredible. 
Speaking of camp, will you continue to try to do camp? Are you done right now, Greg? What's no, I will do camp. Gosh, that's a class reunion every summer. My wife calls us Shriners Without Hats. <laughs> we have a good time down there. That is awesome. Yeah, coaches, once they go once, they don't want to miss it, right? No, you're there with your friends from 30, 40 years ago, and everyone's so dedicated to the game, and we all love the chance to get back and visit with the Godfather and and Todd and the whole new staff and the IU soccer family is just a remarkable thing. All right, Greg, you talked about family. How about your family? Tell me about your family and where they are right now. <laughs> My son teaches here at Canterbury and has coached in the middle school for a long time. My daughter-in-law teaches here at Canterbury. My daughter just left working here to go work someplace else. My kids both went here and my grandkids go here. People say, when are you going to completely retire from teaching? And I say, why would I do that? I'd see my family less. Okay. I see them every day. So they're all healthy and, and doing fine. And my son was also a student manager for IU. All right. For Coach right. Yegley. So our family's been pretty invested and we've been blessed by the Yegley family. And tell me your wife's name and how many years you've been married? Vesta. And we've been married since 83. So we're getting close to 40. 40 years. That's awesome. And She's put up with this the whole time. We actually showed up at an IU soccer game, got married on Saturday night. We showed up, we were on our way to our honeymoon in Brown County. And we just happened to be going through Bloomington five minutes before game time. And I said, do you mind if we go to the game? She says, I knew you were going to say that. So, <laughs> the morning after our wedding, we were at an IU soccer game. How awesome is that? I'm so glad that you added that part in there as well. And do me a favor, paint the picture of Canterbury. Where's it located in Indiana and, and paint a picture of this great school for us. Well, we're located in Fort Wayne, which is in Northeast Indiana. Fort Wayne's about three hours from the whole world. Everywhere you want to go, we're three hours. So I tell everyone we're the center of the universe. We're a small prep school. We have 240 kids in the high school. We don't have a football team, American football team. So Soccer is kind of the gig here, so it's been a good place. I think we need to remind people that the Beasley brothers are from Fort Wayne, correct? Yes, we had to play against them. That was never fun. Uh, <laughs> when DeMarcus left for Florida, we all threw a party because uh, he was just way more to handle than we wanted to deal with. And he's a great guy. He's still a great guy. Yeah, he's truly turned into a phenomenal human being, has he not? Yes, he has. And I had the opportunity to work with him a little bit at the USL team for Fort Wayne FC. You watch him and he gets mobbed by hundreds of little kids and there's always a smile and always the time. And he never seems to get tired of it. He's just a great guy. I ran that list of uh, all your accomplishments off and, you know, I'm proud of all of them. Obviously the Indiana soccer hall of fame is huge because you're right there in Indiana, but I have to tell you, having been around the banquet for United soccer coaches, formerly NSCAA, you know, you winning that long-term service award, I believe named after Robbie Robinson. Am I right on that? Yep. Um, yep. Can you put into words what that means? That was stunning. You know, you kind of go about your business and you do your work every day. I grew up with a, a, a father who was one of the founders of Big Brothers Big Sisters here in Fort Wayne. And so community service has been part of our lives. And you try to pitch in and help whenever you can. And you don't think about that stuff. And so when someone says, okay, this is going to happen, you, it's just shocking. It's wonderful, but it's still overwhelming. Can you remember, Greg, where that was? What uh, convention location it was when you received that prestigious award? I remember standing on the stage. It was in L.A. 
Okay. It was in LA. One of my brothers even flew out from Lafayette, Indiana to be there. So that was pretty cool. My brother, Tom. That's awesome. All right. Well, he's kind of shy, but let's see if we can get Steve Veal to come in here and just give a little bit of comment about the fact that he also took the time to make the trip for your last game. Steve, do you think you can pop in and, and give us a comment on Mr. Malk here? What a celebration. I'm so glad I was able to make it up for that. Dean, you know, there's guys that do a lot in the local community and some that decide then to get involved in the state. And Greg's done the trifecta. He's a legend in Fort Wayne. He's a legend in Indiana. As far as I'm concerned, from the award standpoint, he's a legend nationally. You mentioned the Robinson Award, but his involvement on the national level with us has been incredible. Not many people choose to do that. When George Perry told me in January this was coming up and gave me the date, I said, I'll be there. What a weekend. I couldn't keep up with the Indiana Mafia group uh, the whole weekend, <laughs> but uh, it, it was fun. And again, I'm really surprised Greg answered the bell this morning. I figured he needed to sleep until next weekend, but they did have fun. It was a great weekend celebrating his career at Canterbury. Buddy, I'm so proud of you. It's great to call you a friend and please stay involved. You said you would. We've got some things for you to do on the national level. Still, you can't retire from that. I will never retire from that. Being at that convention and, and helping out has been one of the most rewarding parts of this whole this whole gig. Greg, I have to tell you, I did not know that Steve Beal was going to come on, but I think it kind of tells you a little bit about the kind of man he is, but also his appreciation for greatness, his appreciation for longevity, his appreciation for good people, I think is the best way to say having him come on to wrap up our time here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast gives me a little bit of chills. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I didn't know that Steve was coming in and Jeff Farnsworth came with him and in the parking lot kind of helping people get to their parking spots. And they came around from behind a couple of cars and I just stopped in my tracks. I couldn't believe it. It was just so wonderful. Steve, you're a great friend. I can't believe you went through all that to be there. Yep. We got you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no question. You got Steve's me. Steve's also good at that, too, by the way. He's good at uh, getting people in the right way, though, right, Greg? Yeah. Oh, I. this was just incredible. Yeah, I even uh, turned my camera on because I've got like, unlike Dean, I've got the face for radio. So <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all. Well, Greg, as you think about uh, what all this means, knowing that you still have some soccer, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when this airs, you have hopefully already played two games and have a game in a couple of days on Saturday to, to keep on moving. We'll get people updated as this podcast is released. But uh, as you soak it all in and even having Steve here and everything else, What's the best way for you to sum up this amazing ride you've been on? Oh, it's been rewarding in so many ways. Um, the relationships with the Steve Veals of the world and Jeff Farnsworth and the, the Yagleys and the Perrys. These people have all been mentors to me as well. And I guess I've just been smart enough to listen to them when they're trying to give me some help. It's been fun. I can't imagine a different path in life than this because it's been fantastic. And, and for them to all go to all this bother, it was just amazing. And then let's close with this, because if you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm a massive high school soccer fan. I often get disturbed when I'm thinking that the club teams are going to try to take their kids away from high school soccer. My kids were basketball players, but they still talk more about their time as high school soccer players. Yeah, let's end with that and the importance of high school soccer 
back then, today, and in the future? Well, you know, when we, back in 79, our goal was just to get soccer recognized by the IHSAA. We weren't part of the American sporting scene. Soccer was just our own little corner of the world. We strove to get us into that mix and get us into that conversation. It's a little discouraging when you hear people say the kids shouldn't play high school ball because there's good coaches and bad coaches in club and in high school. But what scholastic soccer brings to the development of these young men and women as people and as citizens is unmatched in any other realm. So I've been proud to call scholastic soccer my home. Greg Mauck, an amazing career celebrated this past weekend with the Godfather and his wife there and Steve there and Jeff there and George and so many other great people. As you mentioned, 50 plus alumni coming out of the stands. I can picture it. I feel like I can see it right now. Thanks for all you've done for the game at every level, like Steve said, and thanks for kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you for having me. And Steve, thanks for coming on and being there. Uh, it's all over. It's all a lot of stunning stuff to try to wrap your head around thank you both thank you greg and thank you steve veal just getting rolling on a giant show as you've heard me say several times already when we return we'll visit with the director of coaching education for united soccer coaches vince gansberg and one of our great staff coaches out in the great state of washington eric Ullman. that after these messages Registration for the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia is now open. From January 11th through the 15th, connect with your soccer coaching community and experience all United Soccer Coaches has to offer in one place. Enhance your coaching resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. In addition to meal functions, award ceremonies, and a huge exhibit hall offering the latest in coaching tech, equipment, and more. Register now by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Registering before October 14th guarantees you the best price possible for the 2023 convention. So don't delay. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. I am so excited to have the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, Vince Gansberg. And we also have a special guest, Eric Ullman, who is the League Technical Director for the Washington Premier League out in Washington State, where they have 35,000 kids, 100 clubs, and he is also the director of the WPL Surf Academy. With that, welcome Vince and welcome Eric. Delighted to have you on the show. Thank Thank you for having me. Well, we are here to talk about the fact that there are now three courses titled Foundations of Coaching Levels 1, 2, and 3. And Vince, I want to dive into that, but Eric's got an impressive resume. Tell us how you got him involved in this exciting foundations of coaching levels one, two, and three, and where he fits in. Eric is one of our coach developers, instructors for many of our courses. And uh, I asked Eric to come on because he recently just delivered a foundations of coaching level one diploma there in Washington. So I thought maybe he can share his insights on that delivery since he literally just did it. But he's just an outstanding instructor, a coach developer, and just an even better person. Eric is very active in our education. Okay, fantastic. All right, Eric, obviously I loved hearing before we came on the air that you played for the Godfather, who's one of my all-time favorites. Ironically, on the show today is Greg Mock, who was a manager and is celebrating an illustrious high school career, loves the Hoosiers like you do. And I love the fact that you played behind Jurgen Summer. I was with him in Barcelona and the 92 Olympic team and also the 94 
World Cup team. So the ties that bind us are awesome, which is one of the things I love about hosting this podcast. But with that being said, Eric, talk about how excited you are to be a part of this with the great Vince Gansberg. Vince is fantastic. I've loved working with Vince over a bunch of years now. And as you mentioned, having come up under Coach Yegley at Indiana, giving back to the game and, and coaching education, developing the game has always been something that he ingrained in us and has always been really important to me. My mom was a teacher and and so the education gene is in me, I guess. And and you know, knowing Vince as a as a teacher as well, we've connected on that. And and I just I, I love being involved in it and giving back to the game and helping to make things better, hopefully. So so well said, and I can feel that coming through on this interview. So that, all right, let's dive in. Three courses titled Foundations of Coaching Levels 1, 2, and 3. What does that mean exactly, Vince? And then Eric, you add on. It didn't hurt that Eric had an Indiana University connection either, <laughs> you know, me being here in Indiana. So That's the right. Foundations of Coaching Level 1, 2, and 3, I've just decided to rewrite our development diplomas. And a lot of the curriculum is based off of the timeless poem written by the late Mike Berticelli, who used to be at the University of Notre Dame. He was the men's soccer coach and uh, actually a rival of Yegley when they used to coach against each other. But they were also friends as well. When I got the honor of being the director of coaching education, I wanted to honor him because he was a mentor and a friend to me. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. I thought, you know, his poem there's a lot of educational pieces in that poem. So that was the impetus for really rewriting our development diplomas. They each kind of get into not only his poem, but the six S's, which is safety, smiles, skills, sweat, soccer, and simple. Sweat doesn't mean we run them right to the ground. It means that the kids are more active than inactive in practice. How can we tie that in with Bert's poem and then make three different coaching courses? So the foundations level one is really geared for like the novice coach, the mom and dad uh, that, you know, just getting into coaching. Uh, It was also geared for maybe the high school player or college player that wants to maybe also dive into coaching a little bit. So the in-person delivery is about three hours. It's really kind of like dipping the toe in the water, but the curriculum is primarily the poem written by the late Mike Berticelli. That's the curriculum. And then we introduce the S's. And then there's a field portion. Eric just did ones. So maybe Eric can share his insight. We had 44 coaches here in uh, Western Washington uh, two weeks ago for the, for the course. A lot of our coaches that did the course came from the league because we've been really pushing uh, continuing education. This is the new curriculum. So we actually had some competitive youth coaches in the mix as well. One of the things I really like about it is that idea of building mentoring. The foundation of the course was written from a place of mentoring where Berticelli was Vince's mentor as a as a young coach. And, and that's always been important to me, having come up from Yegley and how he's mentored myself and so many other coaches. And it's something we kind of built into our education pathway here in, in our league, even with some more competitive coaches in the mix with the group. We kind of built the mentoring connections within the group and played off the, the foundation of the course and it and very, very well received. I think that's a, that's been an, an important part of it, that that mentoring is just baked into the foundation of that course. Well, you said well received. I heard that it elicited a great response. Can you give us an idea of what that means? How many coaches were there that were a part of this? Yeah, we had 44 at that first course. We've got another 
20 something, I'm not sure the exact number. We're, we're going to do it again this coming Friday out in Yakima, Washington. On the week after that in Tri-Cities and about three weeks down the road, we're going to Vancouver, Washington. So we've had really good response from the feedback we've gotten and been able to populate, you know, three more courses here in the next several weeks. So the thing I like about these courses in the United Soccer Coaches Pathway is it's engaging with the coaches. And it's important to have young coaches, beginning coaches coming into the pathway and being excited about coming and getting more and not intimidated by the process and put off by it. So uh, that's the thing I think that's really valuable about this is the course itself, the concepts are very simple, but the course isn't simplistic. It's got a lot of meat to it. I think it's encouraging to coaches to come in and see a simple approach and a way to build what they can do on the field with their players, even if they don't have a, a depth of experience yet. By the way, speaking of Coach Berticelli, Eric Oman, I heard you got some great news. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely flattered by this. I uh, just found out that I was nominated as a candidate for the Berticelli Coaching Award uh, at the convention coming up in January. So very humbled by that. I uh, can't believe that, but uh, thank you to those that nominated me. It's an honor. Well, it's well-deserved, obviously, as uh, you're a key part of the United Soccer Coaches family and you're doing great things. Vince, I'll go to you. One of the things you said early on when you took over as the Director of Coaching Education is it's bigger than you. You need Eric Omens to be involved. Yeah, we need a lot of them all over this country. It's a big country. I'm hoping that you know the Foundation's Level 1 that we're talking about now it's also kind of meant to be light and humorous, but yet meaningful. Because if you read Berticelli's poem, you'll laugh because you can see everything that's happening in the poem that happens still today. So that's what I mean. It's timeless. We need more people like Eric. And one thing we are doing is, is regionalizing coaching education. And Dave Simeone is heading up that effort. Great educators that want to help. I think the foundation series could be one way that we can get our message out a little bit and tell our story a little bit. We've always been the organization, I think, that's helped coaches get better. In the end, help players get better. That's the foundation's one. But yeah, we definitely need more Eric's. Good people, good instructors, take a curriculum and relate it to the audience. I think that's what is very, very, very important. But one of the things I do like and how Vince designed it is being able to actually show some of the examples of how coaches what you see commonly as maybe things that could be a lot better and how coaches set up drills and then morph that into how can we make it more engaging using the s's the principles of of space and time and rules of the game to make it more engaging and more soccer like and so that was actually pretty powerful with the group that we had where I set up some things that I see commonly when I go around and watch training sessions and and watch coaches work where it's very stagnant very drill like kind of quizzed the group to say how could we change this based on what we've talked about here and made it very interactive with them in creating a fun game like environments rather than than drill type environments for the players and that that went over very well Really excited to be talking about the foundations of coaching as Vince Gansberg in his role of director of coaching education has made some exciting and significant changes to our previous 4v4 and 11v11 courses. There are now three courses titled Foundations of Coaching Levels 1, 2, and 3. And Vince, you pointed out that most of what we talked about is level one. Can you dive into level two and three, please? So level two gets... A little bit more specific with two of the S's, and that's skills in soccer. Once they've learned some of the basics or the foundation, if you will, then we get into how do you develop skill? And then what's soccer? And then most importantly, you know, how do you teach 
principles of play to players of all ages. And, and that's the one thing about these courses. It's not really age specific. It can be age specific based on the audience of the course. The level two really gets into the more skills and soccer and skill development. Because as coaches, we can't teach skill. We can put in them in an environment where kids can develop it or they can acquire it by, and it's picked up through experiences. Uh, we can teach technique. We can teach the mechanics of doing something. But skill is actually something that's picked up and acquired. So that's part of the, the level two. And then we actually get into activity design. What's a meaningful activity? versus a drill, and then also practice design. What's a good practice look like? What's a good practice sound like? And in the foundations level three, it's getting more into, okay, now how do we coach? Now that we know how to kind of structure things, now how do we deliver information? How do we transfer knowledge and understanding for the player that you're working with? So we're getting into pedagogy, we're getting into methodology a little bit, feedback, how do you check for understanding? Because a lot of coaches say, blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense? And the kids nod their heads and they really don't understand. They're just nodding their heads because they're nice kids. So how do you make sure that they do understand in a meaningful way? In that course, we'll go into a little bit more how to deliver the information, how to make them a better player, how to make your team a better team. And we'll give coaches a chance to practice coach. And then there's also a game management piece in there where we hope that it will be an opportunity for young referees to come and referee the games while the coaches are learning how to manage the games. So the level three kind of puts everything all together. And then hopefully by then they, they go on to the national diploma and feel a little bit more ready to go into the national diploma. Phenomenal breakdown on the three new courses titled foundation of coaching level one, two, and three. You just heard Vince dive a little bit deeper into two and three. We already learned that Eric Ullman, the league, technical director for the Washington Premier League, and like Vince, a big Hoosier as well. You had 44 coaches at level one. Will you be involved in level two and three, Eric? We have those uh, on the calendar already. We've got a, a full annual calendar built where we'll be offering the level ones at least monthly around the, the state and the level twos as well. The level threes, when they come out with uh, getting those going, and then national diplomas, advanced national diplomas out here as well. So we have a, a full calendar of events for the year based around these courses and building out to the advanced courses as well. Tying it all together, as we already talked about, and we definitely want people to check out that poem from Coach Berticelli, but you know the fact that you did play under the Godfather, Vince obviously has a great relationship with the Godfather. <laughs> I don't know if I've met a more giving person than right. Jerry. In fact, he even went down for Greg Mock's final regular season game, which inspired me to put him on as the leadoff guest. So yep. this is going to be Hoosier heavy. Nice. But yeah. Can you guys just talk about, you know, how the Godfather was able to pass on this love of coaching and education and quite frankly, this love of giving back. When I was there as a player, that was just everything we heard was, you know, live it, love it and pass it on. And that was just, and he talked about that all the time. One of my teammates, John Trask, and I actually ended up coaching the youth team that I had grown up playing on while we were still there as players at IU. And in fact, I, I'll go back to when I was a little guy around Bloomington, Yegley would have the college guys come out and work with the, the club team in town in the morning. They'd have sandwiches delivered and then they'd, the little boys club kids would come out in the afternoon and the club guys would coach the boys club kids with the college guys helping out. And so he just tied the whole community together and as a little guy, you look and see these club kids and look up to them and say, you know, that's the next step. And then, wow, look at the college guys there. That's 
that's just a dream to be a part of that. He got us coaching right from the start, even as college players. That's a lot of why you see so many Indiana guys out in the coaching ranks is, is that was just built into the fabric of creating a community and, and, a, and a program there around the game. Coach Eggley, while I didn't play for him, I obviously knew of him because I had two club teammates that went and played for him, and they were actually part of that 88 national championship team that Eric was referring to. I got to meet Coach Eggley through Coach Berticelli because I used to work Coach Berticelli's camps. One summer, I applied to work IU soccer camp, and Berticelli, I know, had a big part of that. So I went down and worked IU soccer camp and got to meet Coach Eggley and Coach Mauk and all those wonderful, I mean, they're legends that, that worked at camp. Then when I became the state director of coaching for Indiana Youth Soccer, he was one of my biggest, you know, supporters, a person that I could always pick up the phone and, and call and say, hey, coach, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And he's just a great ambassador for the game in this state. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful person. He's given back far more than, than he's taken from the game. And just a quick story on Bert and Yeagley. So when Yeagley won a national championship, Berticelli went to the game and actually got tickets for the game. And he sent Coach Yeagley the two tickets and they were enclosed in glass. It's like a plaque. And he sent that to Coach Yeagley. They competed, but they also were, were, were friends as well. And they respected each other tremendously. Respect brings it all together. If you've been on this podcast, I like to make sure that we close the loop with proper promotion. So if people are listening right now and they're hearing about these three courses titled Foundations of Coaching Levels 1, 2, and 3, as we already learned, Eric Oman, the league technical director for the Washington Premier League, had a great one. Where do they go to learn more to find out the schedule for all levels, 1, 2, and 3, as part of this Foundation of Coaching? We have them available for anyone to host, so they can reach out to our office, specifically Jordan McDowell, who's our coaching education administrator, request to host one, and then we'll, we'll find an instructor, hopefully a local instructor, to deliver the courses. So the best way is to simply contact our office, specifically Jordan McDowell, or they can contact me and I'll put them in contact. They are listed on our website when they are posted. That's how we do our development diplomas or our grassroots, if you will. Anyone can set them up. We'll find the people to teach them and deliver them. Hopefully, if you've got people in your club that you want to maybe teach them in the future, okay, then, then they can join along as well and learn as an instructor. And the foundations level one, two, and three are ready to go in person. The foundations level one is available online via the training ground. The foundations level two will be available later this month on the training ground. And the level three will be ready about mid-November roughly for the online version of it. Nothing replaces live. So we encourage right. everyone to set up a course. Like Eric says, uh, they're meant to be engaging and fun, but yet informative and impactful. Great job. I love the fact, Vince, that you also mentioned the training ground as we have another guest, Tree Beckman, coming on to talk about an article that she wrote for Soccer Journal as part of the training ground. And of course, the podcast plays a key role in the training ground, as you know, as there's collaboration between what you're doing between Soccer Journal and the podcast. So we are checking all the buttons. With that, Eric Oman, love what you do. Love the fact that you're involved with United Soccer Coaches, but I feel like we also need to recognize what you're doing with Washington Premier League. If people want to learn more about what you are doing in that beautiful state, where can they go? Is there a website people can go to? Yeah, the Washington Premier League is wpl-soccer.com. If you get the Washington, D.C. league 
put the dash in between WPL and soccer and that'll get you to our league. Our Surf Academy website uh, is linked through there and, and information about our coaching education program as well. I want to thank Dave Simeone for once again bringing this forward. Vince Gansberg, the Director of Coaching Education. Eric Oman, the League Technical Director for Washington Premier League, who is already stepping up for the foundation of coaching a very successful level one. And as you heard him say, he is ready to do level two and three. Great job, Vince. Great job, Eric. As always, you're welcome anytime on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Really a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Dean, thanks for doing what you do. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You heard Vince Gansberg talk about the training ground. When we return, we have a training ground visit, a revisit, in fact, with Tree Beckman. That after these messages. It's not too late to get your program recognized for the 2022-23 season. Register now for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program to enhance your coaching experience with educational offerings, general liability insurance, and awards and rankings eligibility for you and your players. The College Services Program serves to support you and your coaches, recognize your students' amazing efforts on the field and in the classroom, and advocate for meaningful change that protects our coaches and players. Register today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Gaps. We now switch back to the training ground launched just a couple weeks ago. We are off and running and we pretty much every week try to have somebody that is part of the amazing content creation consortium where you can find information online. You can find it in the soccer journal and of course we'll have regular visits with the leaders of the training ground right here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. No different today as we're pleased to welcome back Teresa Tree Beckman, a true North sports team specialist, a culture consultant, and really just an outstanding leader. I love spending time with her, Tree. So Tree, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Dean. It's, I love spending time with you too. We got similar energies. We bounce off each other just right. Yeah, I was so excited that you were available this week because we always want to try to cover the training ground. And the key thing we want to do is anytime anybody writes anything for Soccer Journal or the newsletter, we want to bring it to life on the podcast. And that's what we're going to do today. You have a fascinating article. The name of the title is Creating a High-Performance Environment with a Risk-Averse Generation. And let's just start with that. Talk about that title and what it means to you. Yeah, I think right now it's a really challenging time to be a coach or a driver of high performance, because if you think about it, like every generation has its own unique set of challenges, right? We're all from different generations and it's not like this, you know, hard, fast thing, but it does inform our perspective in generation Z, which is like the athletes that everybody's coaching right now. We're born on or around 2001 and the big marker. And I'm learning, I'm taking a lot of this from one of my mentors, Dr. Tim Elmore. He runs Scoring Leaders. It's a nonprofit based out of Atlanta. He just talks about like a lot of times when there's a change in generations, there's a huge marker. And for this generation Z, the marker was 9-11. And that informed a lot of the messaging, the little drip, drip, drip signals that they got as they were coming up. Even if their parents did everything right, they're really risk averse. Like they just got a lot of signals that risk is bad, right? For many different reasons. And all stemming from that large marker that informed our entire society. Well, we know as coaches, as people who, who chase high performance, we know that you learn most and you gain skill and proficiency through mistakes. But if you are adverse of those mistakes happening, you just naturally like coming in off the street, 
that's going to slow down your progress, right? And so I think coaches are trying to always balance that, that tension between, you know, driving their student athletes and pushing them toward a higher level of development performance, while also trying to manage the fact that, boy, to get them to, to take a risk on the field or the pitch, whatever you call it, in pressure times, it's really, it's, it's just hard to get both of those things to be true. And so we have to really kind of undo and uh, work harder to create an environment that's psychologically safe. And I don't say that like we have to be soft on them. I say that if you can create an environment, because as humans, we all want to belong, right? That we're hardwired. If you can create an environment where your players feel like no matter what they do, no matter what mistake they make or, you know, whatever, that they're still going to be okay, that they're still going to belong. They're not going to be excluded. If you can make them feel that and really like at a deep level, boy, their performance is just going to get better and better, better, faster and faster and faster. We're off and running with Tree Beckman on this week's part of the podcast that focuses on the training ground. Right off the bat, you say psychological safety acts as a turbo booster for performance. And that catches my eye. What does that mean exactly? It's sort of in a continuation of what I just said. Like, if we can create an environment where a kid can show up fully as they are, or, or, but just a young human, any age, really, all of us, if we can show up with ourselves exactly as we are and learn through the pursuit of just making mistakes that inform our next repetition, we are going to grow faster. We know that two plus two equals four, but as math gets harder, we literally learn through errors. But if we're not willing to take those risks to live on the edge of our performance, we cannot grow as fast. And so if you're creating rooms or locker rooms or fields that feel safe, that people know no matter what I do, I'm still going to be a part of this team. And my coach is going to reach out and, and help me learn from my mistakes in a productive way. Your team is going to get better faster, period. You already broke down your work with Dr. Tim Elmore and Gen Z and risk aversion. So I want to move ahead in the article to another great four words, get your heart right. And I want to repeat that, get your heart right. Talk to me about that part of the article. Yeah, I just had a great conversation with a coach yesterday about this exact thing. Listen, we all make up stories in our heads about ourselves, about the people around us. And so often our narratives aren't wrong. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the 1960s. There was a study, the Rosenthal study. And this is a study many people know about. What he did is he took, he randomized students, but said that they weren't random. He said that they took a test or whatever. And he said he gave these gifted students to these teachers, these average students to these teachers, low performing students to these teachers, went through a whole school year. And he saw like the result of their improvement was just absolutely correlated to what the teacher's narratives were about those students. So the study wasn't actually on the students, it was on the teachers. And what he found is that narrative, the story that we have, and this is why I'm so passionate about changing everybody's paradigm about Gen Z, the story that we have about them, if we think they're soft or lazy or whatever, that is going to inform how we coach them, how we interact with them. But if our heart is right about Gen Z, but also about what culture actually is, boy, that is the place to start because now I can give you some tools after that. But if your heart's wrong, like say you're just like leaning into culture so you can get some more wins, that's not going to work. You will be found out because there's too many things that flow out of us unwillingly, like our facial muscles and stuff like this. This was all found in the Rosenthal study, by the way. All of these things inform us. So if our heart is not right, we can be doing A, B, C, D, E right, but 
you're just going to feel the inauthenticity of that. And right now, this generation, nobody's BS meter is more well-developed than this generation because they have so many pieces of data coming in that, boy, they have a filter better than ours, for sure. In the article, Tree, of course, has a link to get more information on Rosenthal's work as it relates to getting your heart right. Excellent message, which leads us back to the question from the high school student athlete. How do we get the most out of failure when it happens? Isn't this a profound question? This is a freshman in high school asked me this like two months ago. Obviously, after the setup that I gave them at the end, I always have them process it. And they just said, hey, how do we get the most out of failure? And I was like, whoa, that's great. My bottom line answer, right? Like I was like, come on, who is this? My bottom line answer is this. You have to notice your mistakes. There's work on this uh, from the talent code, Daniel Coyle and the talent code. He's just a genius. He also wrote the culture code, my favorite culture book. He talks about how we build the myelin sheath around our synapses in our brain. We build those. We have to notice the mistakes. The mistakes are one thing, like making the mistakes. Yes, cool. But if you don't pay attention to the mistakes, if you just breeze through them, you're not going to learn as much or anything from them. So you have to notice the mistake. That's number one. And you have to remove judgment. And there's a lot of really good work done in this book that's really innocuous called The Inner Game of Tennis written like in the 50s by um, Timothy Halloway, I think is his name. And he talks about how our judgments so often, our ego gets in the way of us really learning everything that we can from our mistakes. And that was my answer. I was like, you got to notice your mistakes and you got to remove judgment from those mistakes. If we see them as a learning opportunity, instead of like as something to be ashamed of or a failure, boy, does that go a long way? I got to tell you, one of the things that I say most when I'm coaching, and I still love like, like hands-on coaching various athletes is great fail, man. I will high five the heck out of some great failure because it sends those little drip, drip, drip signals that no, here we celebrate learning from mistakes because we know we're going to get better faster. If we can embrace that. Now you have to make the distinction between good and bad errors, but even then I'm still like, uh, yes, I'm going to get on a kid. If who, who's got a bad attitude, bad body language, they're not giving enough effort. Those are really controllable things, but boy, if you do everything right and you mix, miss the execution, I am not, that is a great fail, man. Do that 50 more times. And that execution is absolutely going to come. The name of the article is creating a high performing environment with a risk averse generation, part of the training ground, the content creation consortium. We're here with tree Beckman and you are actually the queen of the segue because the actual article ends with five things you can do today to help your athletes fail great, which even just seeing that in writing is so you're like, wait, help your athletes fail great. I find that fascinating. And you have five practical ideas that you can practice to help your athletes embrace failure. So I thought it would be great if you could, in Cliff Notes version, break down all of them. I'll say each one, and then we'll let Tree Beckman do the work. The first one, define, 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 and then celebrate, in quotes, good fails. This is fun. This is my rapid fire, like playground work right here. Mm -hmm. So when I say define, 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 Brene Brown says it best, like language is a portal. You got to get clear. And this is uh, one of the biggest mistakes I see coaches make, like as they're executing the actual, like on field coaching, is they're vague about what they're looking for and what's acceptable and not acceptable other than otherwise known as boundaries, right? So I'm going to give you a, a volleyball example, even though these are soccer coaches, because I think it'll be more authentic for me and everybody will understand it. If you're serving, if you miss a serve two inches long in volleyball, 
versus missing a serve in the bottom of the tape, that is a very different failure, right? Because the first one, I at least everybody else had to make a decision. So from an execution standpoint, I'm absolutely, and if you miss it in the bottom of the net, whew, you were not focused. Something bad happened, right? That wasn't just execution. You mentally were got on to the next thing. So that's, a, that's an example of, I'm going to define what a good miss and a bad miss is. And when you miss just long, I'm, I'm literally, not even in quotes, I'm actually going to make sure that my heart is right. And I'm celebrating that. Like, that was awesome. Because you're going to make that nine times out of 10 if you celebrate it. But if you get on them or if your, your facial expression lets everybody know what your heart really says when they're two inches long, ooh, guess what? They're not going to go for it next time. We're going to be the easiest serving team in the world. Excellent point. And I love how you're recognizing that athletes feed off of coaches' body language, even if they're not saying anything. So that's so well said. The next one of these five tips, be sure you are truly focused on the controllable parts of the process. How many times do coaches get on players for the results of whatever? And listen, if you think you control winning and losing, you're wrong. Unless you remove the officials, and the other team, you do not control it. You influence it for sure. If a kid takes a penalty kick and that goalie is just having, like that goalie's in the zone and that goalie, you know, makes an impossible save and you get on that kid, come on. Like that's not a controllable, right? But what can you control? Like what are the, are they controlling their effort? Are they controlling their energy? Do they have their eyes on the right thing? When they try to make a pass, are they controlling where it touched on their foot? Whatever it is, like you have to be very disciplined. This is, I think coaches get really undisciplined or they get insecure. And those two things sometimes get in the way and they react to the disappointment that they feel over the result not being what they want. And so then they get on this player and the player's like, but I did everything right. You've got to really, really notice. And this is a skill that you learn Every single time you're coaching an athlete, you get better and better and better at this. I think this is the difference between really great coaches and, and average. You have to listen to your own mistakes as a coach and realize like, oh, I just got on that, that player, but that was not a controllable. Next time, I need to make sure that I'm focused on this. Like, Ask yourself why the thing happened. So often I see players stop a practice and they're like listing off all the things that are going wrong. And I'm looking at them like cool, but do the athletes know what in the world they need to change? Like, what can they control to make all of those things that you notice are going wrong better? This next one really speaks to me because I think it is a part of your makeup because it's a big statement. As you say, introduce them to the best coach in the world. Tell me what you mean by that. I ask players all the time, who's the best coach in the world? And, and they'll look at me like, I sometimes kids are looking, thinking I'm looking for like, you know, compliments. They're like, you are. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not, <laughs> not even, not even close. No, the best coach in the world is a student athlete, right? It's, it's the ball. It's the ball. And it's the student athlete. If they're noticing what that ball is trying to teach them. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I go through this list in the article and it's like, and they don't necessarily have the skill to notice. This is also stuff, by the way, that you find it laid out pretty well in the inner game of tennis, that book I reference but just like ask them like all right so notice what your first step did your first step go backwards or did it go forward and don't give them the feedback because they're really looking for your judgment and their own judgment it'll take a few reps if you're just really quiet about it and you just have them do a thing and say I want you to notice say it's your first step right notice your first step and they'll do the thing and you say okay what was your first step they'll be like I, I don't know all right cool notice your first step and then even if the first step was wrong but they noticed it, that's what I'm coaching. I'm trying to get them 
to better be able to feel their body and how it's moving and hear the right things and remove the judgment. It goes back to, you know, that question from that player, how do you get the most out of failure? Well, you got to notice like actually what you're doing. We get so distracted by the ball that we don't even know what we're doing. And it takes us 30 times as long to get better to skill. Tree Beckman's always moving forward because you basically hit the next one, help them hear the best coach in the world by helping them remove judgment from the learning process. And you pretty much broke that down. So we'll go to number five, where it says be a conduit for their connections with each other. Yes, I will say this, going back all the way to the beginning of this uh, recording, this generation, they do connect differently, right? Because of the technology that we're using right now, it's not all bad. They're very connected to a lot of people, but those connections aren't very deep often. And they're happening on a screen while they're alone in the rooms a lot, right? And so when I'm working with a team and what I recommend to every coach is just provide time. So like in between drills, just, hey, y'all, just buy whoever you're standing by, just group up in groups of three and talk about this and give them a just an open-ended question to discuss. And it could take two minutes. And then say, all right, what did you all talk about? And then have them share out and maybe get a couple of groups. Cool. You know when you read and your vocabulary improves, but you don't really feel it? That's exactly what this does for connection, for deepening connection among your players because they know that they're lonely. This is the loneliest generation of all time. And they know it and they feel it, but they don't really know what to do about it. This is not a quick fix at all. And they won't even notice that it's happening. But you want to deepen the connections between your players. I recommend doing this three or four times every single training session. I won't meet with a team in a workshop if I don't, I'll do this five times. There's never a time that I won't do this. Again, the article is called Creating a High-Performing Environment with a Risk-Averse Generation. This is going to sound sycophantic, but it's truly not. One of the things I admire about you, and I'm just getting to know you, and I want you back as many times as you possibly want to be back, is Tree, you never like take full credit for this stuff. I mean, you're always saying, you know what, I got this from this person. I got this from this person. And you've obviously taken the best things out of it. And you end by telling people to check out the Pygmalion effect, to check out the inner game of tennis, to check out generational understanding, growing leaders, Inc. I like that about you tree. Why was that always important about you and your makeup? Okay. Listen, I'm trying to be the resource for people that I wish that I would have had. So I was a volleyball coach. This is a true story, Dean. My first game, I was a, a college freshman. I played college softball and I was a JV coach my freshman year. And I did not, I'm not kidding. I did not know how many timeouts you got. I played volleyball in high school. We were bad and I was bad on a bad team. Right. And so I didn't know anything about the sport. And, and so I, I literally had to go to the ref and I was like, Hey, how many timeouts do we get? <laughs> and so that's where I'm coming from. And so, and I remember trying to learn how to become a, a proficient coach and, and both in the sport of volleyball, but just like in general, cause we all coach humans, right? And boy, was that a harder process than it should have been. And so I'm really passionate about providing resources and being a resource for coaches that I wished that I would have had. So this is not about me. This is literally about every other coach in the world, because we don't have professional development that's organized in a really succinct way. And that's the work of True North Sports and Celia Slater. Like, that's why she's such a mentor to me. And I've worked with her so much is because this has been her passion for longer than I've even known it was a problem, right? That's why I want to connect people with the resources that I wish that I would have had a connection to. And you will be able to connect with people through the training ground, through this article, through more articles that are coming as her focus is not only career development, but it's very clear coach development and also clearly talking to the athletes as well, making them 
part of the process. I love this article, creating a high-performing environment with a risk-averse generation. As you're right, this Gen Z, you know, we all kind of have these sort of opinions of it, but if we open our mind, maybe we can work together and make things happen, which is fantastic. I want to remind everybody that Teresa Tree Beckman is a True North sports team specialist and a culture consultant. You can email her at tree at truenorthsports.net. And you can follow her on Twitter at T Beckman, and that is spelled T B W E C K M A N 1 3. 1 3 is my favorite number, by the way. So I like that. Was that your number two? Absolutely. Yeah, both my boys wore number 13 as well. I love that. This is a great article, and I like how you approach uh, attacking this article. And I'm so glad that you're part of the training ground. And you're back to share your message and we'll have you back anytime, okay? Oh, I can't wait, Dean. This is my Disneyland, man. Thanks for having me. Great energy as always from Tree. When we return, we continue to turn over the podcast to the Latino soccer coaches community. Art Hernandez has Carla Maya and Cynthia Cervantes. That after these messages. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. This is Art Hernandez, and I want to thank United Soccer Coaches for giving the Latino soccer community a spot in four consecutive United Soccer Coaches podcasts. And today we have Coach Carla Maya on the podcast, and helping us as well is Coach Cynthia Cervantes. And today we have a very uh, special, different kind of podcast because Carla Maya will be talking to us in Spanish, and we have uh, Cynthia here who is going to help translate and give us her responses in English as we as we navigate the conversation. But definitely, I want everybody to be able to hear Carla's experience and knowledge here in this wonderful Hispanic Heritage Month. Carla, ¿cómo está? Eh, bienvenida y gracias por venir a, a, aquí al podcast. ¿Nos puede decir un poquito de dónde es y qué es lo que hace? Claro, con gusto, Arturo. Eh, bueno, mi nombre es Carla Maya, como bien, como bien lo comentas. Eh, soy director técnico profesional de, de, de fútbol. Tengo 15 años trabajando con, con, con equipos eh, femeniles y algunos, y algunos varoniles. Yo inicié mi carrera eh, con, en, en algunas universidades del, del, del país eh, yo vivo en, en México, soy de la Ciudad de México y actualmente radico en, en Guadalajara, pero eh, más o menos en, eh, a, a raíz del año 2007, eh, ahí inicié entrenando al, al, al TEC de Monterrey en, en Campus eh, Ciudad de México, ahí inicié este, esta carrera que tengo a lo largo de, de casi 15 años con, con, con universidades, con equipos eh, representativos y eh, el, el, los últimos tres años trabajé para Selección Nacional con la categoría sub-15 y eh, eh, obtuvimos en CONCACAF la medalla de, la medalla de bronce hace, hace no más de un par de meses que, que logramos ese, ese, ese triunfo, que fue una, una, un, un gran torneo. Yo trabajé con este, 
con esta categoría alrededor de más o menos dos años y tuvimos muy buenas, eh, muy buenas impresiones, hicimos un gran trabajo, lo que nos llevó a, a quedar entre los, entre, los primeros, eh, entre los primeros tres lugares. So, my name is Carla Maya. I'm a professional soccer coach. Um, I've been working 15 years working with both male and female professional clubs in Mexico. I am from Mexico. I currently live in Guadalajara. Since 2017, 2007, um, I've coached the Tech de Monterrey and several universities around Mexico. Um, the last three years, I worked with the Mexican Federation, 2015, um, where we won the third place bronze medal at the CONCACAF tournament. Um, I'm very grateful to be here and thank you for the opportunity. Carla, in, in your experience, in your daily life, what does Hispanic heritage means to you? What does it mean for you to be Hispanic, Latina? Um, what does that mean to you on a daily basis? Creo que, creo que alrededor del, del, eh, del mundo, creo que es, es bien importante la labor que, que estamos haciendo ahora los, eh, los, los mexicanos, los latinos, eh, de innovar y de aprender. Creo que el tema de, de aprendizaje para nosotros, los, los, los coaches, los, los directores técnicos, creo que es, es, es la base de todo. El que nosotros podamos eh, ayudar y enseñar eh, a, a diferentes categorías, creo que debemos estar bastante, bastante preparados porque el fútbol cambia día con día. El, el fútbol nos, nos, nos enseña que tenemos que estar cada día mejor, eh, mejor preparados y eso es, eh, es importante, el saber y el entender eh, los diferentes sistemas de juegos que hay en el, en, en el mundo y eso nos, nos presiona y nos hace ser mejores, mejores entrenadores a través del, del, de la enseñanza. Hispanic Heritage Month means to me, I think around the world it's very important that we as Hispanics are taking the initiative of learning and the fact that we as Hispanics are getting prepared is one of the very important things for me because soccer is constantly changing. So it's very important for us to um, learn, get an education and keep taking these initiatives as Hispanics so we can present the best product to our athletes. Now here at United Soccer Coaches, we are big on coaching education. So please, obviously we all know about what the offerings are with United Soccer Coaches and also with a U.S. Soccer. But tell us a little bit about the Mexican licensing system, how that works, and what are maybe some unique experiences there. La metodología que nosotros que nosotros utilizamos en México es eh, la tenemos basada a través de los momentos que se viven en el en el dentro del del, del propio juego. Nosotros los tenemos basados en cuatro momentos importantes, que es cuando tienes la pelota, cuando no la tienes y en las dos transiciones, cuando pierdes la pelota y cuando, y cuando recuperas el, el balón. Y de ahí le metemos diferentes, diferentes factores, como pueden ser eh, si tienes la superioridad numérica, si el equipo rival eh, tiene, este, tiene superioridad numérica o en qué parte de la, de, de, de la zona de la cancha eh, estás. Entonces, eh, la metodología que tenemos es basada, eh, basada en eso. Yo eh, adquirí una metodología a través de, de algunos cursos que tomé en, en, en España, que es, un poquito más, que es un poquito más amplia, donde se dividen eh, los momentos ofensivos y los momentos defensivos y de ahí eh, eh, generamos toda, toda una metodología. Y en base a eso, hacemos los trabajos eh, ya directamente en la cancha 
eh, en cuatro, dividido en cuatro eh, elementos, que es hacer ejercicios básicos, ejercicios de posesión, ejercicios de posición, y al final terminamos con un, eh, con un juego. Esa es como la metodología que trabajamos en, en México, es un poquito diferente a la que, a la que trabajan en, en Estados Unidos con el Play Practice Play, eh, que tiene algunos, algunos momentos este, que se unen con la metodología que, que se hace en México, pero este, es, un poquito, es un poquito diferente cómo lo, cómo lo trabajamos acá. La metodología en México es based on the moments, on four particular moments, which when you have the ball, when you don't have the ball, and the transitioning and numerical advantage. As for myself, my methodology is based on Spain, where I've taken several courses, which are four elements, individual exercises, uh, possession exercises, position exercises, and then I end up with a game. Um, this is a little bit different based on the US courses because you go into play, practice, play. But for me, my methodology consists of both the Mexican Federation and my methodology that I've taken around with Spain. And now, now that we're getting into, into learning, coaching, education, uh, and whatnot, now, what do you think about being able to take these courses? Uh, and I don't know that you went to Spain or did not go. I'm sure you went. But, but what do you think about the new learning platforms that you can do a lot of this learning online um, and it's very available to anyone, really anywhere who, who wants to continue their education? How valuable do you think that is? Eh, creo que uno tiene que estar siempre abierto a, nuevas, a, a nuevos conocimientos, a, a entender eh, nuevas, eh, nuevas metodologías. Eh, creo, que, creo que cada cada país tiene una metodología basada en, en también en las, en las cualidades de cada de, de, sus, de sus jugadores. El tema en USA es que ustedes tienen atletas desde, desde, desde niños. Es, es diferente al, 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 al perfil que, que tenemos en, en México y esa eh, diferencia es lo que te hace entender que dependiendo del país en el que estés o la... la eh, la disponibilidad o lo viable que tú veas estar en otro país es adaptarse a, a, las, a las circunstancias y adaptarse a, a, las, a, las, a las metodologías. Yo creo que eh, todas las metodologías son muy importantes, creo que todas sirven, todas funcionan y todas te hacen, te hacen crecer en, 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 este, en esta búsqueda de, de, de aprendizaje y en lo que puedes eh, aportarle a los, a, a los atletas. I think it's valuable because we have to be open to learn new methodologies throughout the world. I think every country has their own methodology. I think in the U.S. you have an advantage because you have athletes um, at a very young age. Um, I think it all comes to different methodologies around the country and the resources that each country has. And we as coaches have to be adaptable on the online platform and, and be willing to learn. How important is knowing the culture of where you are? Because you just mentioned you like every country, every every different every place has a different type of athlete, a different type of person. How important is it to recognize that in the different communities we serve? Because even that is super important because if, if, when we're trying to push buttons, it's not only about 
the right buttons, but some players, some some cultures don't even have the buttons that you were trying to push. So in that sense, how important is it not only to know soccer, but also to know the person, the culture, the communities that we serve? Es sumamente importante. Creo que el, lo que tú le puedes aportar a la jugadora en temas de confianza, creo que es, es de las cosas más valiosas que tú le puedes dejar al jugador más allá de lo deportivo. Creo que los jugadores van creciendo porque no todos llegan a, a, ser, a ser profesionales. Entonces, en categorías más eh, básicas o en categorías más pequeñas, creo que la importancia de hacerlos buenas personas o que ellos entiendan ese, eh, trans, esa, lo que tú les transmiten, eh, lo que tú les dejas eh, o le, les transmites más bien como confianza, lo, el, el valor que ellos tienen como, como jugador, que ellos son y pertenecen a un, a, a un equipo que al final se vuelve, se vuelve una, una familia, que, el, que los jugadores entiendan que los errores son parte del juego, son parte de este, de este proceso y eh, ¿Cómo, cómo eh, afrontan ellos también el, el, el tema del, del, del temor o del, o del miedo y que eso al final podamos eh, cambiarlo y que ellos entiendan que desde ese, desde ese lugar eh, puede ser una, una fuente inclusive de poder eh, eh, para ellos y que dos cosas son básicas y súper importantes que ellos tienen que cuidar tanto su cuerpo como su mente. El, el, el tema emocional y el tema mental es tan importante como, como el que ellos puedan hacer una buena carrera o que puedan hacer eh, cosas deportivas dentro, del, dentro de la cancha, para mí es prácticamente un 50-50 la parte, la parte mental del, del jugador, creo que es sumamente, eh, sumamente importante en cualquier, eh, y eso sí te lo podría decir que pudiera ser en cualquier, en cualquier país, eh, el tema de la confianza del jugador, ese, ese creo que este, se tomaría eh, al, al parejo en cualquier lugar. I think if you can provide something, confidence to your athletes, is the most important thing. Making them better human beings, the value they have within the team, and creating this environment as a family, and understanding that mistakes happen, And it's part of the game, you know, it's culture. Um, and to realize that they have to take care of themselves, not only physically, but also mentally. Um, it would definitely provide something better to the environment in the soccer world. And those for me would be the value to that player. And how do we teach confidence? How do we teach confidence in young players, especially women? And how early can we start teaching that? Like, If I want to start teaching that at six, seven, can I do that? Or do I have to wait until they're 14, 15? What do you think? How, how do we start teaching confidence, especially in those communities that are underserved? In my experience, I think that the players, when they are passing through this process of adolescence, is when they can start to lose a little confidence. Eh, cuando eres niño en esas categorías más chiquitas, 6, 7, 8 años, eh, este, todos los niños creen que pueden hacer cualquier cosa en el mundo, ¿no? Tienen una ideología de que este, pueden ser Superman o pueden ser cualquier es, el, el ídolo que puedan, que puedan tener, pueden hacer cualquier, cualquier cosa. Creo que el tema inicia, en el tema de la confianza inicia 
después de la, de la adolescencia, porque ellas empiezan a pensar, empiezan a entender que pertenecen a ciertos, a ciertos grupos eh, donde, donde se les genera esa, eh, esa confianza. Yo lo que hago con, con, con las jugadoras es eh, siempre eh, trabajar con ellas de manera individual y después de manera, de manera eh, colectiva. Es, es muy importante que esta confianza se les dé a raíz de, de lo bien que hacen las cosas. Creo que en, en temas afectivos eh, con, con, con esta categoría, creo que, eh, el, el, que el, el reconocimiento que tiene la jugadora cuando hace, un, cuando hace una, un buen ejercicio, una buena jugada, inclusive desde algo tan sencillo como dar un buen pase, creo que el reconocimiento que, que tú le das a la jugadora, eso le da mucha, eh, mucha confianza y eso va generando en ellos... Eh, mayor actitud al hacer, los, eh, al hacer los, eh, los ejercicios y evidentemente eh, eso lo trasladas de, la, del, de lo individual a lo, a lo colectivo y, y que, el, que el jugador se sienta valioso en la, en la posición en la, que está, en la que está jugando. Por eso te decía que el error es, es parte del, del, del fútbol y que ellas aprendan que, que se van a equivocar muchas veces y es cómo transformo el, el, el error para que eso me lleve a mejorar y cuando tú a la jugadora le muestras eh, esa mejoría a lo largo de los trabajos, eh, ella va teniendo un convencimiento y va teniendo una mejor confianza a lo largo del, del, del torneo o del trabajo que se, está, que se está realizando. Teaching confidence would be on my experience. Um, it's, it begins with the players' team years. You know, that's where they start losing that confidence. However, when, when we compare, when you have a kid that's U8, U5, they believe they can be Superman, right? So going back to your question is for me, it starts in the, in the teenage years. I have two things individually first, and then incorporating into a group setting, recognizing the good pass, the good run. This is where we individually praise them. And then in a group setting, it starts seeing the progress, building their confidence. This is also making sure that they're comfortable in their position, you know, and little by little, you start building that confidence that that player needs. Again, going back to making sure that they understand that making mistakes is part of the process. And individually, we have to be there for them, guide them, and, and making sure we're teaching the proper tools for them to gain that confidence. As we talk about confidence and we, we talk about how we can help our players, how can we help a small community get those resources to help players get to the to the next level, right? Whether that next level is college, university, uh, and, and continue playing and continue keep them, keeping them in the game. Creo que es bien importante involucrar a las familias. Creo que es, es bien importante que al final eh, los papás se vuelven eh, un, un trampolín para los, eh, para, los, para los atletas, para las jugadoras o los jugadores, porque pues ellos son al final los que, los que atienden ¿no? de llevar a los, al, al, a los jugadores a las prácticas y, y el, el, el involucramiento que van teniendo ellos dentro del, del, de los equipos es, es, es muy importante en el soporte emocional que le dan al eh, que le dan a los eh, a los a los jugadores y 
eh, en, en, en temas de comunidad, yo siempre he dicho que el fútbol eh, puede mejorar el mundo. Eh, a nivel de, de esta práctica, de este, de este deporte, lo que, lo que te genera y la satisfacción que te puede generar como deportista es, es muy importante. Entonces, el, a través de, de, de la unión familiar, de, de, la sana, eh, eh, de las sanas reuniones que, que, que se generan eh, durante, durante, los, durante los juegos y las relaciones que se generan entre los propios eh, padres con, con, eh, con, los, con los jugadores, creo que es una parte fundamental en la que a través de ellos se puede mejorar el, el, el fútbol y se pueden mejorar todas las, todas las, este, las comunidades a través de las familias. I think it's very important to incorporate the families. Families become a huge part of the process um, in the soccer world. Student to families. I personally think that soccer can change the world in such a positive way. And it's actually changing the world, but it has, I'm a firm believer that the relationship between family and player and everybody working together, it's what's going to take the next step in order to... Um, incorporate the families and keep moving forward with with um, the community and involving the community. That relationship is the key and having a healthy relationship between trainer, family and player, because ultimately the family is the most important support of the player. Ya vamos a empezar a cerrar el show. Entonces, ¿qué consejo le daría a cualquier entrenadora, entrenador, eh, joven, jóvenes? que estén empezando a desarrollar su carrera en ese deporte. ¿Qué consejo les daría? La gente siempre, o, o la mayoría de cuando nos hacen esta pregunta, es eh, hablar de los sueños. Eh, yo sé que, el, que todos tenemos sueños, tenemos metas, tenemos objetivos, pero, pero hay, que, hay que caminar y hay que trabajar a, a, hacia esos, a esos sueños. Yo siempre he dicho que los sueños se trabajan despierto porque hay, hay que, hay que eh, las oportunidades te tienen que, que, que agarrar cuando tú estés, en, eh, cuando estés trabajando, que estés eh, preparado, listo, para, para cuando se te presente esa oportunidad, estar en ese momento en el que tienes que, en el que, tienes que estar. Eh, creo que el, mi consejo sería que sí, sí, los sueños se cumplen, pero con mucho trabajo, con mucho sacrificio, con mucho compromiso, con mucha disciplina para que llegues a, a, a lograr ese sueño. Y ya que, ya que se logra ese sueño, se logró ese objetivo, esa meta, se generan nuevos sueños y nuevas metas y nuevos, eh, y nuevos objetivos. Creo que el, el, el trabajo del día a día es lo que te lleva a lograr y a construir esos, eh, esos sueños y que vas como en una escalera, vas subiendo un peldaño tras peldaño y que al final vas a lograr hacerlo, pero, pero creo que se necesita mucho trabajo y mucho eh, sacrificio. A los, a los que es el mismo eh, mensaje que le daría a los jugadores y a las entrenadoras, hay que seguirse preparando, hay que seguir trabajando, cada quien desde su, desde su lado, desde su, desde su espacio, pero siempre eh, tiene uno que mantenerse eh, estudiando, trabajando y, y sobre todo eh, listo para el, para el momento en el que, en el que se presente tu, tu oportunidad.
Thank you so much, Coach Carla, Coach Cynthia, for hopping on the podcast today. And we definitely appreciate your time. This is Art Hernandez, and I want to thank United Soccer Coaches for giving the Latino soccer coaches community a spot in uh, four consecutive United Soccer Coaches podcast and having us do this podcast takeover. Now I will turn it back to the host of the podcast, Dean Linky. Thank you, Art, for all your work and two more outstanding guests. We are still rolling on. When we come back, we'll meet Iowa women's soccer superstar. She is so fascinating. Iowa Sam Carey on the bounce. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. We have a jam-packed show. And, of course, you know I also like to put the spotlight on games that I am calling. Coming up, I'll have Tony Deleuze as I'll call Duke against Wake Forest women's soccer tonight. But on Sunday, I've got Minnesota and Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes. I like to call them the Iowa fighting Dave Dionis, and I feel like we've got one of the best players in the Big Ten on the podcast for Iowa. Sam Carey joins me now, the great left back. Sam, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sam, one of the things that uh, I always loved about you is one, that incredible run you made during the COVID year, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I learned during that Big Ten tournament that you are the ultimate Girl Scout. So tell everybody about... uh, becoming a Girl Scout and the fact that you're still, it's still part of your life. Absolutely. You know, every kindergartner dreams of selling cookies. Am I right? (laughs) So when I was a kindergartner, my family had been a Girl Scout. You know, my mom was a Girl Scout. My dad was a Girl Scout and my mom was my troop leader. And we started it from there. And I realized so early that so many life lessons are included in Girl Scouts, you know, from learning how to change a flat tire to learning to change a fuse to learning how to sew a button. These are all things that I realized people don't actually know how to do. And I learned through being a Girl Scout. And it was an incredible opportunity that I had growing up from there. It led me to even more amazing things, such as getting my gold award, which is the Eagle Scout equivalent. And I'm so, so proud to be a Girl Scout alum and be a forever lifelong member. And I understand you also were always one of the leaders in selling Girl Scout cookies as well, because everything you do, you do to, to win, right? Of course. It was a racer on the block. Come on now. I had to beat all the girls in the neighborhood for the sales. And speaking of winning, you went into that COVID year Big Ten tournament. You guys were terrible, and somehow you won the entire thing to get in the NCAA tournament. Probably should have beat UCLA as well. Put into a couple sentences what that run was like and how in the world it happened. You know, every single time I tell this story, I just get chills. There's no other ways to do it. You know, in the middle of the season, at one point, we were 0-7-1, and we hadn't scored a goal. So clearly, odds were not going the way that we wanted them to do. But we were a new team. We were a team that needed time to learn how to win, to learn how to fight, and to understand what we wanted. We had lost our identity at a certain point, and we didn't really know how to dig it out yet. And one of the things that I feel like I was always known for in the soccer field is we're gritty. We know how to fight. We know how to compete. And so we really started learning how to do that. And the blessing about the COVID year was everyone made the tournament. So we understood that even if we came in with only two wins, we still had a chance because everyone had an equal chance at the end of the day. 
we started on a run and we beat Illinois and we beat Minnesota. And of course, now you're going to the big 10 semifinals against Penn state. Who's daunting enough at Penn state who's number four in the country. And we simply had the mentality of we're expected to lose. So what if we win, you know, like, let's go do this. We have nothing to lose, leave it all in the field. And it, we beat Penn state and then beat Wisconsin, the big 10 title to get the first ever Iowa soccer, big 10 tournament title. Incredible. Here was Sam Carey. Now the other thing is you're a high level referee. I mean, you are working nationals for us youth soccer. How did that happen? It's a crazy story. And honestly, it all started with freshman Sam, not wanting to flip burgers at the end of the day. I knew that I knew the game of soccer and most people won't hire me if I'm gone every other weekend for games. So being a referee, I could pick my own schedule and from there, I just loved being a referee. I feel like as a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl, the life lessons you can learn about how to speak to people, how to be confident in your decisions, and how to you know, show body language and positive body language is just exponential when you're put in the middle of a field with a bunch of people yelling at you. So I learned all those incredible lessons, and I fell in love with it. And I have an incredible coach in Dave Diani who supports me and lets me experience and do these things that, you know, I don't feel that like every college coach would give me the freedom to do. And that's led me into high roots as, you know, being chosen as some of the best, one of the best referees in the Midwest region. And I've now represented the Midwest at USYS Nationals twice. You're extremely driven. You have a double major. You're already engaged to be married and you want to be a professional soccer player. Tell that story as well. Absolutely. I am a double major, as you said. I have a 4.0 GPA and I did just get engaged. My fiance did propose to me at the Iowa soccer field. So that felt very fitting. And at the end of the day, I want to play pro. I fell in love with soccer. And to be honest, I now know and I've discovered that I don't love soccer just because I love kicking a ball or I love tackling people. But don't get me wrong. Both of those are great things. <laughs> but I love soccer because of the lessons that I've gotten out of it. You know, I've learned about how to express my passions, how to express resiliency, how to overcome adversity, how to work really hard at something and then see it pay off. And all of these things I've just gotten addicted to through soccer. I love being the hardest worker. And I understand that I may not always be the most talented, but you will not outwork me. I will not let that happen. And all those things, I'm, I'm not ready to give up soccer after my tenure at Iowa. And I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that next level. Last question with Sam Carey, a phenomenal left back for the Iowa Hawkeyes. They'll be featured at two o'clock Eastern on Sunday on the Big Ten Network against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. The Iowa Hawkeyes and Sam Carey will win the game on Sunday. If what happens, Sam? We fight. You know, the past couple of games that we've had in the Big Ten, we have been the better team. We haven't got the results we've wanted, but we have started to almost embrace the 2020 mentality of we know how to win and we know how to play soccer. Let's just do it together. We'll win the game on Sunday, quite simply put, if we come out like we know we can and we fight harder. If you want to hear the full story of Sam Carey, check out this Wednesday's Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. If you want to follow Sam Carey on social media, how do they do that, Sam? Absolutely. I'm on Instagram at Sam.Carry and Twitter at Sam Carey with two Ys. Sam Carey, a rock star. Thank you so much for visiting us here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We'll see you Sunday against the Minnesota Golden Gophers on the Big Ten Network. Always a pleasure, Sam. Thank you so much. And as promised, we wrap up the show with the 26-year head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons women's soccer team tonight. It's Wake Forest and Duke. You can catch that game on ACC Network Extra. Chris Edwards will be doing play-by-play. -play. I'll be the analyst. Looking forward to Duke and Wake Forest and our visit next with Tony Deleuze, the head coach of the Wake Forest women's soccer team. 
Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Tonight, I'll have the call in Durham, Koskinen Stadium, women's soccer. Robbie Church's Duke Blue Devils will take on Tony Deleuze's Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who come in 8-2-2. Two two. Tony Deleuze has been a longtime friend. He's been a regular guest on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, but it's been several years, so I'm really excited about having the call, and I've got to admit, I'm more excited about having Tony on this week's podcast. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Coach. Thanks, Dean. It has been a long time. I don't even remember when it was last. My ratings must have been so bad. You just said, forget it. Uh, we're not going back to him. Trust me, when somebody has been as successful as you for 26 years, and I do the same thing to Austin, somebody that's as good looking as you, we will welcome you back at any time. 26 years, Tony. I mean, to be fair, and I know you're going to call BS, but you look like you just started. So to me, that means you love what you do. It's a great job and it's a great place to work and great place to live. Every day that I get to do this is, is just one more special day and I'm still enjoying it and still getting fired up. And I love it when the kids pay attention and execute. And like yesterday, I thought, I thought we, were, we were pretty good against Syracuse and little victories of coaching. That's what it boils down to. Anytime you play Duke or North Carolina or even NC State, you know, the North Carolina schools, I got to believe there's a little extra special sauce on those games. It'll be no different tonight, right, playing Duke? We've had some really tight games uh, with Duke over the last few years. It just comes down to one one play here or there, and it's always fun playing against Robbie. We're pretty good friends and have a good relationship professionally and just personally. I think he, I think the world of him is one of the good guys out here and doing what we're doing. Yeah, and so are you, in fact. So it'll be a game of uh, the good guys, in my opinion. I do feel like we need to bring up a funny moment because I think it was last year at Duke where you made Sports <laughs> Center. Is that right? Or is it two years ago? Uh, it was a couple of years ago. Yes. Okay. All right. Can you remind yeah. everybody what happened or do you want to just never, move on? It never escapes me. Never <laughs> escapes me. Well, it's not my fault, really. <laughs> my player. Ryan Brown, who missed the penalty, uh, it's her fault. Uh, <laughs> no, we had, we had a penalty. We drew a penalty with, I don't know, three minutes left in the game. It was 0-0 right at Duke. So we're, we're on the precipice of a, of a major three points. And at the time, we were actually kind of down, a little hurting, injuries, things like that. So it, was been a, it would have been an incredible uh, win for us. And Ryan, you know, she, she takes penalties – every day for us you know at the time and just smashes them you know super confident and i think the nerves got to her and um you know she pretty much just hit it right at i think it was ruthie you know at the time yeah so anyway there just happened to be a crate uh like a milk crate uh (laughs) that was right there available for kicking they don't make milk crates like they used to and my foot went right through it and (laughs) <laughs> it got stuck in my foot and you know I'm just like jumping around hopping around with this thing on my foot and my player actually at the time was Liv Stoll 
who's still with us. Um, she was the closest one sitting to me and she was just like, her eyes were wide open and just like, what do I do? Do I help him? Just like <laughs> scared to death. Anyway, so I, I somehow shook it off and the rest is legendary. You know, two million views later or something. I, I don't know. It went, world, it went worldwide. So I want to remind everybody that you're you're from California, I believe the San Diego area. And remind us, Coach, um, you played college soccer as well, right? Yeah, I played at University of San Diego. I actually played two years of junior college in San Diego, Mesa Community College, uh, which was, you know, community college back in those days in Southern California was where a lot of players went because either your parents couldn't afford to send you to four-year school or it's just there weren't a lot of opportunities scholarship-wise and soccer just wasn't that that big you know so I ended up a bunch of us actually ended up going there and um, I played two years there and then I transferred to USD and um, played two years there and you know I, I had the same coach Seamus McFadden for uh, he, he coached me in high school through high school, through the junior college. He was double dipping, coaching the junior college and University of San Diego, started the program there um, back in like 79 or 80, I think it was 81, 82, something like that. Anyway, you know, those days, he's got two jobs coaching, two schools and driving a school bus in the morning and um, just trying to tolerate, you know, trying to get through as a coach. So uh, I ended up, playing for him for two years and then I hadn't graduated yet. So I stayed on to be his like player coach, assistant coach, whatever for, for pennies. And, you know, I ended up doing that with him on the men's side for, I think seven years until 91. And then 92, I started the women's program from scratch at USD uh, and had that for five years. And, you know, after that fifth year, we were in, in the NCAA tournament and, won a couple games in the tournament and then uh and then Wake Forest came on the scene so it's a long journey long journey I remember you telling me um but it's worth repeating that you know once you got to Wake Forest and San Diego is a great place I lived in Laguna Niguel not too far you know in Orange County not too you know an hour away from San Diego would go down to San Diego a lot but I love living in North Carolina. I think Winston-Salem is a very special place. I know you get back to San Diego, but I think you love living in Winston-Salem as well, right? And being part of this Wake Forest family. It's home. I mean, it's where my family is. My boys are, my grandkids, and I love my family. And they're all back there in San Diego still. And I'm going out there in December. My, da my dad's turned 90, so we're going to have a big party. But I've got to be where my family's at, see these grandkids grow up and uh, make sure my boys are all right. Like I said, this place is so easy and stress-free uh, compare in comparison to some of the big city jobs and the players I get to coach here are so self-motivated. I mean, it's just Wake Forest kids, you know, they, you don't have to babysit them. They, they get the job done on and off the field. They're fantastic people. This is it for me. This place is, is where I'm going to, I'm going to end it probably. Looks like you've got a nice team. You play Duke tonight. Tell us, uh, you know, the best way to describe this year's version of the Wake Forest women's soccer team. Our average age went down from probably about 21 to you know, 18 and a half, you know, with graduation last year because those super seniors and seniors we had really carried the team. And But the freshmen last year also did a really good job of um, establishing themselves and getting a lot of critical playing time. So 
it's a super young team. I mean, it's 30, 30 of 38 players are freshmen and sophomores, and we're starting anywhere from five to six freshmen in every game and, you know, quite a few sophomores. So they've risen to the occasion, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty consistent from a performance standpoint against a lot of older teams, a lot of senior laden teams that, um, that normally, you know, your team might get overwhelmed as a young team, but we've been, we've been pretty, pretty competitive and um, pretty consistent. So it's a team that tries to keep the ball and we have a little bit more speed than in the past overall uh, throughout the team. We've had a ton of injuries coming through here. Uh, we're just, we're just getting a couple players, maybe three players back, you know, for Thursday, we had them for yesterday a little bit. We're almost to the best roster that we can possibly have because we have a, a few players out for the season. So I, I like where we're headed going down, you know, into the, the what is the meat of our schedule. We'll end with a topic that uh, you knew I was going to end with. As you know, I'm a massive fan of the Deleuze family. Obviously, I'm a tremendous fan of Austin Deleuze having called his games and had the opportunity to work with him. I fully understand that when you listen to those games, you turned it on mute when I was talking and you turned it back on when he was talking. I respect that entirely. But uh, I mean, look, you know, you're like all of us, you love your family, but man, what a talented family you have. And now, like, as you mentioned, you're a grandfather. I mean, can you just touch uh, on, um, I mean, the love that you have for your family and, and how cool it was, particularly when you were there and Austin was, you know, breaking the assist record at Wake Forest. Uh, it was a pretty neat time. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great time. I, I have three boys and they're all, you know, they all have their own qualities and they've all given us Amy and I great moments, you know, up to this point and still going and we're proud of all of them. You know, Tyler, Tyler went to UNC, Austin went to Wake and, and Jonah uh, went to NC state. And uh, so we, you know, we just, we, I guess we couldn't tolerate Duke. Um, <laughs> we couldn't work them in there. It was just a, a hard no on that one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're, you know, Amy and I are super proud of, of all three guys and, you know, they're, they're good people. Um, you know, they, they do the right things. They treat people well. And that's all, you know, we can ask as parents is that our kids represent our family really well. And, and Austin, you know, has always done. I, I think you guys have a good relationship, you know, professional relationship when you're on the broadcast. I think it's a really good compliment. You compliment each other really well. Uh, I think it's something that he could probably continue to do and, to do and be a pro at if, if there was ever any money in it. But uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a special time watching him here and, and the success that those guys had and those teams that he is on are extremely close. So it's really great to watch those guys just stick together over the years and kind of evolve into, into dads and, um, and professionals. And uh, I know there's a big wedding coming up. Cody Arno is getting married, uh, I think, uh, later on in October. And I'm sure it's going to be, uh, it's going to be well attended and, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think Wilmington is going to be decimated uh, <laughs> after, after that crowd gets in town. But, um, yeah, those yeah, are some yeah, fun guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're 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 good times. Um, so anyway, I'm uh, 
extremely proud of my family and, and my wife and supporting me all these years. And, you know, she's super talented as well. She's a great grandmother and just totally immersed in that as well. So um, we've been together for a long time, 30, 36 years, I think. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I know we often do the same thing, but for me, it's always worth it because um, you are a generally great guy. And as you know, I, I love your family. I'm so excited when I am able to get a Wake Forest game amongst the travel and stuff. So I've circled this one for a while. I know Austin's going to be there as well, maybe some of your other family members. But more importantly, I know you're super busy, and I definitely wanted to plug the game that I'm calling tonight, Wake Forest and Duke at Koskinen Stadium, a massive ACC women's soccer game. And of course, Wake Forest led by their 26-year head coach, Tony Deleuze. Tony, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you, Dean. Thanks for all you do, too, in supporting uh, women's soccer and traveling around the country doing all these games. You do a great job, and I really enjoy, enjoy hearing you and always enjoy your call. So uh, hopefully it'll be a good one tonight. Truly appreciate it, Coach, and I appreciate all of our guests today on a jam-packed show. I also want to thank Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.